Welcome to this Ski Podcast special episode about Beijing 2022. It was recorded as a Facebook Live broadcast on the 9th of February and my guests were Graham Bell, five-time Olympian and BBC Ski Sunday presenter and Emily Sarsfield, uh, Olympian at Pyeongchang in the Ski Across and now commentating for the Discovery and Eurosport channels. Hi there and welcome to this Olympics special episode of the Ski Podcast currently going live on Facebook. It's about, I think, the third time we've done live on Facebook. Uh, Graham isn't quite with us yet, but hopefully he'll be arriving uh, imminently. But I'd like to introduce my guest today, which is Emily Sarsfield. How are you, Emily? Very well, thanks. And you? No, you did get married uh, within the last uh, year, so we should call you Emily Sarsfield Power. And in fact, in the green room earlier, you showed me uh, the skis that you've got in the background there, which are one of the most original wedding presents uh, I've ever seen with uh, lots of signatures of all of your guests on there. Graham's just joined us. Hi there, Graham. How are you? I'm good. You've been doing a few night shifts, getting into a different time zone uh, at the moment. How are you finding working for the BBC in Salford? Uh, interesting. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Kind of being in Salford is a bit peculiar. Uh, I think I'd rather be out in Beijing, personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even with all the restrictions in place, I think I'd rather be out there, um, you know, having the experience. I guess one of the, the one benefit is that, um, you know, we're, we're at home. If the worst comes to the worst, then you can always phone a friend, <laughs> um, which is exactly <laughs> what I'm doing uh, for tomorrow because I'm doing the, uh, the aerials commentary. Okay. So um, I have basically phoned a friend. And I've managed to get Ben Benson to come up okay. and do commentary with me for meals. And and with your current schedule then at the moment, have you just flipped your life so that you're effectively on night shift? Is that how it's working? Well, actually, no, because I'm not doing that many nights. Um, I tend to be doing the, the I'm doing the punditry stuff for Alpine in the studio, uh, but I'm not commentating on the Alpine. Don't ask me why, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> And so I'm, I basically, uh, today I, I timed it perfectly because I woke up, I don't know, about 5 a.m. And I watched the first run of the women's slalom as live from my hotel room. And I watched it on the computer. And by the time I'd watched the first run, the second run was kind of underway. So I could pick up the second run just in time to watch Charlie ski. Yeah, cool. amazingly, that's when I turned on this morning as well. She was like the first skier to go down. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was her second run. She'd had a really good first run. She had a great second run up until that uh, that hairpin, that was the offset hairpin, like five gates from home where she crossed her tips. It was <laughs> slightly disappointing. But let, let's start off with the biggest news of the day. I'm going to go to Emily first, who's competed in the uh, Winter Olympics in Skiercross uh, previously. Charlotte Banks was our big uh, medal hope in the snowboard cross uh, earlier. Uh, I'm guessing that uh, by the time people listen to this podcast, they'll certainly be well aware that she got knocked out at the quarterfinal stage, unfortunately. Um, Emily, do you have um, any thoughts on, on that performance? Yes. Uh, you know I, how it went? Absolutely heartbreaking for Charlotte because basically... Charlotte right now is the leading world-ranked skier. She's done five out of six um, World Cups this year on the podium, of which majority of them she's had a gold. She's the current world champion. She was in good stead. She's in good form. And she was she was ready to go out there and, and, and be on the podium. So 
she'll be absolutely gutted. And I think we saw in her like post-race interview that she was just kind of like, she just couldn't put a finger on it. I think and she seemed then... a bit in shock, uh, you know, at the uh, at the bottom there. Graham, any thoughts? Is that just bad luck? No, I've got a controversial opinion. The course is too easy. I mean, it's honestly, it's like I would go and ski that, you know, the, the previous Winter Olympic ski cross and snowboard cross courses have been properly intimidating. The difficult thing with this course is that the first few Wu-Tangs, they are fairly serious. But from, from then on in, it's just a ski test or, or a board test. And that's why the fields are so packed, because no one can get away because the turns aren't tough enough. Uh, if you're the best in the world, you can't get out. If you are out in front, then everyone is going to be just in your slipstream all the way down. And one tiny mistake, um, you know, opened the door for the Canadian to pass her. And then the Canadian then made a mistake, blocked her and then let the, the Aussie through and then you're out. Um, so it's kind of another almost like blame the fact that we're racing in China and that, that we're on hills rather than mountains. In the whole, the whole of the fears have taken kind of like a, a kind of step towards making the courses safer because they were a little bit worried about kind of how many um, injuries and stuff we've had in the past. So even in our World Cups and stuff now, you don't see the same booters as what you used to see, um, which is which is a huge shame for the riders as well as the spectators. Like we want we want to do the big jumps. Like that's what gets our adrenaline going. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could see in the midsection of that track where it kind of opened up, where Charlotte kind of like she was sitting in third and she basically just had like lower air than all the other girls and got to the snow, hit the kind of transitions and hit the landings in that sweet spot triple the next triple which some people were doubling and singling and kind of like was set up perfectly and that's where she took kind of like a lot of her speed now that part of the course is very similar to the world champs course in idra where it's kind of got some boot and you can kind of get a bit of speed but the rest of it is very similar to montafon where it's kind of turn into roller into turn and you can't kind of take away that speed and really kind of like yes yeah, start to kind of like get going so you've always got the other guys on your back. Right. So like Graham said, kind of, then it comes down to who's, who doesn't make a mistake. And Graham, do you think that they've made the course, they've set it up so that the riders are more likely to be bunched because that makes for a better race? No, they had no choice. They just got no vertical. They've got no vertical. Right. They're, on a, they're on a hill. They're on a, they're, they're on a slope that, you know, would be a kind of blue run for a recreational skier. And... <laughs> You know, it's honestly, it's kind of like the, 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 the ski cross courses that you get that, you know, they set up in resort for the kids to go down. It's obviously Maybe not very, quite as easy as that. Very I'm disappointing. Like, exaggerating slightly. I know the GB Snow Sports team, GB are targeting quite a few medals. There have there've obviously been no medals to date, but there have been some more encouraging uh, performances. I'd probably say the highlight would be uh, Kirsty Muir. Would you pick her out, Graham? 100% highlight um fantastic uh hope for the future you know if we can keep her uninjured and with the with the kind of the with the backing that we've got now um on that whole kind of park and pipe program but also in the whole of the uk to to kind of back that um you know freestyle development you know if you look uh, i don't know, look at the olympics um in bmx bmx freestyle with charlotte worthington won gold you know she came through and um you know, basically learnt a brand new trick to win the gold. I think that the UK 
we we've got the ability to to do that and to back someone to do that. That was fifth for her in the uh, big air, and Slopestyle yeah, is her is her main competition. Yeah, I know. Isn't she's it? only so, seventeen, but she's up yeah. against two absolute giants uh, with Ledoux and uh, Goo. But you know, therefore, we're hoping. I think uh, the women's slope style is going to be running over Sunday for qualification and Monday for final. So uh, we'll be looking out for her and and Izzy Atkin in that event as well, who's the uh, current reigning bronze medalist. Emily, did you watch uh, Kirsty uh, Muir? Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I, and I, like it was great to see her ski. She's she's obviously got amazing talent, and I think like they're nurturing it really well. And I think she's um yeah she's got a lot of hope for the future. I don't think she had a huge amount of pressure on her, which was great. So she was able to just kind of stick at it and perform. And I think I'm going to make something controversial here, and Graham will probably completely disagree with me. But I almost feel so. The one of the reasons we've liked with, with Charlotte and stuff like that, these athletes, basically GB have made the kind of qualification so difficult to get to the games. So our team size could be twice, three times the size um, had they taken the international kind of criteria. But GB have made it very elitist and only want people to go medal winners. I feel now that may have changed kind of like what their normal team environment is like. Because like Katie Ormroy doesn't have any team riders around her. Um, Charlotte Banks doesn't have maybe Potter with her, you know. And is this kind of putting a lot more pressure on those athletes and singling them out so they have to perform? Had they had that normal team environment, like the McCormicks and stuff like that and Tyler Harding and stuff, could the athletes be more in their normal situation? Well, did did, did Maisie there? Potter did did Maisie make the international? Did did she make the IOC's qualifying criteria? And then the the BOA decided yeah. not to take her. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that. That's yeah. That, on Alpine, uh, the problem is that uh, the IOC have made uh, the IOC and FIS together have made the qualification much much harder for the mid ranked. Uh, nations. I mean, even the Americans, the Americans consider themselves a mid-ranked nations because they're not the Austrians or the Swiss or the French. And they are struggling um, with the qualifying criteria. Um, yet you can go to the games with 160 fist points and be a worse skier than, you know, have to do your speed test. A ski instructor in France has more of a difficult qualifying to get your cart pro to become a ski instructor in France than it is to qualify for the Olympic Games. So we've got a whole load of countries that can send one skier, male and female, and yet we're having to cut back on sending, you know, potential top, you know, potential top 20, top 15 finishers. Uh, you know, we've lost, we've lost Charlie Raposo, can't go to the Games, you know, World Cup uh, points skier, um we've lost uh laurie taylor can't go to the games uh world cup point skier in in uh in madonna this year finishing in the top 30 scoring world cup points can't go to the games and it's not the fault of the boa it's the fault of fis for allowing this to happen and you know the ioc told fis we need to cut the cut the numbers down and they decided to take out the whole middle rank instead of getting rid of the the let's be frank the crap ones <laughs> um, they've got rid of a whole load of middle ranked skiers who could actually perform quite yeah. well. I, I mean, I understand uh, both both points there. I think what you said, uh, Emily, about uh, the maybe the lack of a squad feeling and uh, only going for potential medalists kind of makes sense. 
for um, GB Snow Sports because they have publicly said that, you know, they'd like Britain to be uh, the fifth ranked. I think it's by 2030, isn't it? The fifth ranked uh, uh, nation in uh, skiing and snowboarding, which is pretty ambitious. And that would you know, really require progression from one Are medal in uh, one medal. In... Smart goals isn't like that. The, the R of smart goals supposed to be realistic. <laughs> One one medal one medal in Sochi, two medals in Pyeongchang would suggest that you know three medals at a very minimum uh, here in Beijing would be uh, well the the bare minimum for a, a, what I believe is a nine million investment in the team at present. Yeah. I just feel as though the the net we've kind of we've set wide, but then we've kind of made it really narrow. And we've now just put all our eggs in one basket, and maybe we should just set the net. I'm not saying like really wide for every single athlete, but I'm just saying. Could we have kind of like kept a little bit more camaraderie within the team and having kind of yeah. the, the ones who just missed the cusp um, and kind of had that? Yeah, so I, under, I, I understand the, the, the point for sure. Let, let, let's take another more positive story. It's not a medal story, but Graham, I, I remember watching on Ski Sunday, you interviewing uh, Michaela Gherkin Schofield. And she came uh, ninth in the Moguls, which is a tremendous uh, result, I think. Certainly the, uh, the best ever by a British skier. Oh, yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the first time we've ever qualified anyone for that, the final 12. Yeah, great, great results. And, you know, that family's been through a lot. Yeah, she's got more. I think she's got more to come. You know, I think that's great that um, that we've got performances coming. Like yeah, that. How, how old is she? Oh, she's 22, 23. OK, so assuming her knees hold up, she's definitely got potential for more Olympics <laughs> within her then. <laughs> it also says knees. It's actually the lower back that goes. In yeah, the back takes the pounding. Slightly uh, off on a tangent, Emily. I noticed on your uh, social media feeds you bumped into a uh, Dave Riding and Billy Major at an airport. I, like, how did that happen? Were you just uh, hanging out and uh, stalking them, or uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just hanging out at Heathrow departures? No, when um, yeah, I was I was off skiing for the first time in uh, two years, like last yeah, week. Yeah, you went to Cromartana, weren't you? I did, yeah. I went to the City Ski Champs, which was, um, yeah, it was really, really great event. But yeah, just so happened to bump into Dave and Billy on their way out to Beijing. The amount of messages I got saying good luck because I think somehow the media still think I'm still racing. Life has definitely changed. I am not racing <laughs> over there. I'll be talking on uh, Eurosport, but I'm not racing. So, um, did, did you get a chance to talk to them at all? Yeah, no, for sure. So, so David and I kind of heard... COVID or anything like that, did you? No, it was quite funny. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, stay away from me, Dave. But, don't come yeah, no, anywhere. We were, we were probably the, the loudest group in the airport because we kind of like had this two meter distance in this kind of like triangle between us, <laughs> making sure I was nowhere near them because I was like, no, 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 I, I'd love to give you a hug. So I gave them an air hug. Um, but yeah, David and I used to kind of like race together when we were super little. We've, we've known each other for kind of like years. We were in the same kind of race club and stuff. He's obviously pretty tired on his way out there because off the back of everyone wanted to talk to him after Kitsville. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, he's he's pretty down to earth though as well. So I think he's just kind of like, like just... He's like they're going out really early. I mean, really early. Really early. But I, I don't know if that's because he was a flag bearer or if it's because of the team event. But for Dave, that's not normally like him. He's normally a kind of a guy who would rock up kind of a few days you know, before events, his head in the game and get going. Team yeah, events so at I, the very end after the men's slalom. So, I mean, I think they're going out there to test skis on this rotten snow. But they've got pretty cool test um, set up out there um, with their, like, the wax cabins like 30 metres. And then they've got like, loads of lanes just above them. And you can kind of book your lane to test your skis. 
Um, so there is kind of a really cool facility out there for people to kind of like test skis. So yeah. it, it this is not be. just for Team GB. This is for all of the athletes, is it? Yeah, yeah no, this for, for everyone. And Graham, can I ask you a question? The temperatures have been very cold. I mean, we saw some of the uh, cross-country skiers uh, taking part in, I think it was like minus... Minus 15, excluding no, wind chill? Like, uh, minus, minus 24 when we first started the games in the, in the training runs. Everyone was I, taking their Okay. Phone. But my Please. understanding is that events shouldn't take place if it's less than minus 20 uh, degrees. Is that right? Well, cross country, yes, because you can freeze your lungs. Do you think this represents a problem, you know, for the athletes? No, because it's warmed up. It's a balmy like, minus 12 now. No, it's 10. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a lot warmer than it was when uh, just before the game started, those first three days of training for the men's downhill. It was cold and windy. And yeah, it seems to have warmed up slightly. Look at the temperatures that come through. You mentioned the men's downhill. Obviously, the original date was uh, cancelled, but then it did uh, take place. Did it run as you expected? Obviously, it was a win for Switzerland. uh... Yeah, Foyts, yeah. Well, I picked um, I picked Matthias Meyer for the win, uh, and he would have won if he'd not made that mistake on the top. He got bronze, uh, but I think Foyts was a, a deserved winner. <clears throat> it's funny I was watching Foyts in the training runs, and he just did not look like he wanted to be there. He was not enjoying life at all. His girlfriend's just had their second kid. He yeah, he's he's not really expressed much of an interest in going. Um, <laughs> well, it was worth goes, it. <laughs> and then he goes and wins. <laughs> it's like oh. I've won. Excellent. And what did you think of that course, Graham? Um, Actually, they did as good a job as possible. I mean, I was saying before that, you know, it's probably the easiest in, you know, since Clamour in 76. Um, But I'll take that back. I'll say it's maybe the third easiest since (laughs) Clamour in 76. Uh, Sarajevo 84 was easier and probably Lake Placid 1980. I think that Pyeongchang was close. It's a very similar course. Um, maybe this was slightly better designed than Pyeongchang. Same kind of struggle with the it was basically the hills uh, with no snow on them. Yeah. Uh, but this time they built some kind of, you know, they built some terrain into it so that there's this kind of, you know, airplane turns and, you know, lots of kind of little rollers. And it was actually in the end, it looked like a fun course, if not a difficult course to ski. Okay, well, you know that was certainly one of the one of the highlights uh, uh, so far. I also I noticed um, as well that the Team GB uniform apparently has had quite a, a bit of a, attention after the opening ceremony. It was trending on uh, the uh, Chinese uh, social media site Weibo. I, I wondered, you've both worn a GB uniform from Olympic Games before. Did you did you like them? Are there any you still got in your uh, cupboard, or uh, you know, did they all go out? to charity or something no i sold mine i needed the money for skiing so I, they, they all got sold off pretty much straight away the one day suit that i liked the best was um sarajevo 84 we had this kind of white and light blue uh candy stripe design that was kind of crossed the body like this uh it was the argentinian flag though which was kind of ironic because um, just after the falkland war uh, we're racing in Argentine colours. And then we went down to Argentina for a World Cup the following year. And obviously there was a lot of kind of, you know, resentment after the war. Uh, but when they saw our race suits, we were kind of, yeah, we were greeted with a little <laughs> bit more friendliness. Uh, what about yourself, Emily? What happened to your uh, uh, uniform from the Games? Um, I think it's 
still in the loft actually so hopefully it's still in one piece um no i like this like it's really it's a real proud moment to when you do get the kit um so yeah it's it is nice to kind of like reuse certain pieces and stuff. I think I, I wear the leggings quite a bit. But um, when it's plastered with Great Britain everywhere, I'm not that kind of person to go out and be like Great Britain all over my chest and back and stuff like that. <laughs> especially especially when I don't compete anymore. I kind of like try to do, be a little bit more stealth. Um, right. But yeah, I thought the uh, the opening ceremony stuff was pretty pretty fun with the Ben Sherman stuff with the Parker and things. It's amazing that they've all got uniform because there's been so many crazy stuff. Like I work for a, a ski clothing brand and with production across all the brands this year, it's been super, super difficult to kind of okay. like for production to actually happen. I mean, I, I um, had to get the race trousers for the GBT because um, they're more specific. So I have the spider trousers and they put like a, an Adidas badge over top of them or whatever. But yeah, like so challenging kind of like doing all of that stuff. Okay, I think I think that was was quite interesting. Graham, let me ask you a question. I've asked you about your experiences at the Olympics before, and I remember you said to me that you were less interested in the opening ceremony because all you wanted to do was focus on your particular uh, events. And I just wondered, from your experience of being at the games, for the athletes who are out there right now, they're in this really strict bubble where they're uh, you know very limited in where they can go and who they can see, and obviously they desperately want to avoid catching covid and not being able to compete how do you think the experience is going to compare for them relative to those times that you had well <laughs> the times that i had uh, we had some great parties <laughs> i gotta say because the men's downhill was the first event and there was like when the first couple of games uh, the first games i did it was only only the downhill i was only there to race the downhill but i was there for two weeks and i was quite good friends with bill johnson who ended up winning the bloody thing and we went out drinking sorry <laughs> i was 18 and we're in these dodgy dodgy bars drinking uh Shlivovich or whatever it was and yeah that was quite interesting and then in calgary the same calgary was just a massive party in calgary <laughs> you could go out and then you if you if you wanted to get a lift home you would just stick your thumb out and someone would stop because you're wearing a, you know, you're wearing your Great Britain jacket. That's the time to wear your Great Britain jacket. It would drive you out of your way to get back to the Olympic Village. And you'd stumble in about two o'clock in the morning and wake yeah. up everyone else that was there yeah. trying to... Which sounds brilliant. And if we compare that to the experience that they're, you know, they're having at the moment, do you think it affects psychologically your build-up to the events if you're restricted in the way that they are just now? I think there's a lot more pressure... I think it's just the whole COVID thing has just made it more pressure, more pressure. You know, you can't have your family out there. Uh, you can't have, you know, you can't go and see people. You can't go to the shops. You can't release from the bubble. And so the bubble is just so incredibly intense. Like Michaela Schifrin now, she's blown out in two races. She can't even go and see her boyfriend who's at the games with her, you know, Kilder, you know, is there. He's messaging on Instagram. That um, is awful. I, I, I worked as a uh, one of the volunteers, a games maker at 2012, and I got to hang around the uh, Olympic Village uh, on one of the days, and it was great because you saw loads of athletes wandering around and just chilling out. Maybe they were going to food halls or there were, you know, there was parade uh, places they could pick up stuff, etc. But I guess none of that is probably going on now. I mean, when you were uh, out... Not at all. Yeah, when you were out at... Um, Emily, I'm guessing, you know, there, there were ways to kind of relieve uh, the, the boredom and or pressure in the lead up to your events. 
Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I suppose some of the guys who were heading out there, like from all sorts of different teams and stuff. Um, and basically, they just said the last month has been the most isolating they've ever had of their kind of life because they've essentially are so scared of getting COVID that they put themselves in the middle of nowhere for kind of like three weeks. Some of them have not even been on skis in three weeks because you can't can't get a kind of private ski resort. If they wanted, like, they were trying to do some private training on a private lift and stuff, it was going to cost them kind of 10,000 euros. So they sacked that off. All they've done is physical training. Some of them have not been on skis and since kind of like, I don't know, January time. So it's going to be like a good three weeks. And if that's your, what you do normally do day in, day out. So they're, and they're, they're not allowed to go to the food hall when they're out there because their nutritionist's got to get their food because again, it's a risk of catching COVID. Like when you're in the food hall, like I love a social meal. Uh, but you've basically got well you and I are terrible on interviews because you can't get a word in that <laughs> I enjoy it either of us and um, you've got these plastic um films up next to you and yeah, I mean like I probably shouldn't say this but I remember going when I first went into the food hall I was really quite taken aback and um, they were handing out kind of like all sorts of different things when you enter in and one of them was a basket of condoms <laughs> So it was quite a shock to me that they were handing out, like, you know, basket of condoms to people at the games. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of, I don't think there'll be any of that. Well, sadly, um, all of that has changed. But I think that's quite interesting because overall it does, it does give an insight into why it is so different. And you're saying, you know, for example, Michaela Schifrin, who's obviously, you know, not had a good experience of the game so far. And, you know, other people, it, who knows how people adjust to the different circumstances. Generally, we're all creatures of habit. And, uh, you know, athletes in particular always have a certain routine that can have different elements to it. And when some of those are taken away, it can make it very uh, difficult changing the environment uh, completely. So, you know, I do feel for the athletes out there, but equally um, they are at the Olympic Games and we still have, you know, quite a lot of the games left. I wondered, uh, Graham, what you'd be looking out for in the uh, in the remainder of the games. What particular events are you uh, on your uh, watch list? Well, Dave, men's slalom. Oh, they've got to water the hill, though. I, they've got to put some water into that hill. They've got to use the injection bar. We can't have a men's Olympic slalom that basically you can, yeah, you, you've got to ski an easy hill at 80% because if you go too hard, then your ski breaks away. No, they've got to stick some water in the slalom yeah. hill. Okay, so that's Wednesday uh, morning. I think the uh, the qualification or run one uh, at uh, two fifteen a.m. and uh, the the second run five forty five a.m. So uh, that will be one to watch. What about yourself, Emily? What's on your watch list well, apart from apart from Dave riding? <laughs> yeah, well, obviously I'm going to say ski cross, um, and yeah, hopefully, kind of a. The, the tracks kind of start at the same, but then they kind of do what Pyeongchang did and they go off and then rejoin again for the finish. Um, so hopefully kind of like the riders will be able to kind of use those turns and those berms a little bit differently. And it won't be just a matter of kind of making a mistake. Um, so obviously we've got Ollie Davies in that, but also I'm looking forward, I, I want a little comeback and a, and a, a real nice success story for Charlotte. Cause I literally, she deserves to be on that podium. She's one of the best, or if not the best snowboard cross rider out there. So they've got, obviously got the, um, for the first time, the mixed SBX race, yeah, um, snowboard cross race, where it's kind of like a, a male and a female team up and, and they don't go together, but essentially the boy rides down first. 
And as soon as they cross the finish line, then the females are kind of held back for as much time as the their rider was behind the first person through, and then they can go on the track. Now, the good thing about this is, if you've got a good girl rider, that's important. You're better off with a, a strong female than you are with a strong male, because even if your rider falls and stuff, and is four seconds behind, you actually, I think the longest time you can get is two seconds or one and a half seconds held back. So as long as she can keep in touching distance of those girls and keep kind of within the slipstream, she's, she's got another chance. But she's okay. going to, to take her way through. I mean, we're saying that Hugh, Hugh is basically going to ride for, um, for on the British team on the guy's side. You know, he, he's got to basically just try and stay in the slipstream and not necessarily win, but just not be too far behind so that when Charlotte starts her race, uh, she, she can just get into yeah. the slipstream. And then, but then she's got to make two overtaking movers. But uh, Hugh, is, Hugh is only there for this event, right? Well, actually, this is a little bit controversial. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hugh, yeah, again. <laughs> um, so, Hugh actually got, yeah, qualified this event and they made it kind of a little bit of a, an, an opening for him. But since then, I believe that he has actually been allowed to enter the individual snowboard cross okay. as well, which is a little bit tough for the other athletes who missed the kind of qualification criteria for the individual on their own. And um, the goalposts may have changed slightly. It's just very hard for the ones who've been left to ha left behind yeah. but kind of it's another opportunity for a medal for great britain so let's let's take it i got one more question for you graham i was watching the um snowboard parallel slalom the other day uh which i think you were commentating on that was yes why do we not have anyone in that sure is it just that do you know no. how many alpine snowboards that we've sold in the uk in the last four years 23 none <laughs> None, right? Okay. None. Okay. None. And they're not even selling that many in the Alps either now. If you look at the age of the sport, uh, the riders are just getting older and older and older because right. there's no one no one really coming in. There's no development program in um, you know, Alpine uh, snowboarding. So I don't know what the future of the sport is. Um, right. You think that's time. one that's kind of on its way out? Well, you would think, you know, when you've got like, I think it was two 41-year-olds in the last, you know, in the last <laughs> four or something like that. Well, that's it. Encouraging for all of us, though, Graham. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Johan Claret is 41. He won a, a silver in the men's downhill. So, you know, it does, it, it does show that, the, you know, the age is going up on all sports because, well, maybe not on the freestyle side, but, you know, sports science is enabling you to keep going, keep your body going for longer. But yeah, I, I'm not sure of the, of the future of um, of PGS, and yeah. so I need to look forward to you know the next Olympics. I mean, I guess the Italians are reasonably good at it, so you know they <laughs> they're, might, they'll uh, decide whether to keep it in, right? Yeah, that yeah, that'd, that'd be a bit of pressure. You know, there was it was that was there was the big debate about aerials as as well about you know should aerials still stay, and you know, and I was like, well, as long as the Chinese are good at aerials and we've got this Olympics in China, then aerials will be on the Olympic program. But that's another one that's kind of like, you know, is it still going to still be around, you know, with big air is now in big air ski is now in because they put snowboard big air in, but they didn't put ski big air in because they had aerials. Mm. It's completely different. You know, it's the, the difference between tumbling and diving, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the way that they rotate and spin. 
so yeah, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the future with the Winter Olympics? But um, it's yeah, it's always going to be a difficult one to stage, you know, a games. So they're always going to have to try and reduce numbers, and they've got new sports coming in. Ski mountaineering's coming in. in Is it? Uh, ah, yes, yeah. Because the Italians are really good at that, and they well, they want. <laughs> <laughs> but you as a host as a host you do get to to have a choice yeah well um, i love i i love um ski touring and you know ski mountaineering is the competitive uh side of that yeah uh, essentially I, you know i'd really yeah, like yeah. i'd really like to watch that the thing i'd really like them to bring in would be telemark because we have jasmine taylor who's had a such an amazing career and so many world cup podiums and never had a chance to compete in the olympics I know, and it's crazy. Telemark have been banging on the door for, for I don't know how many years, like years and years. And then Schemo comes along and gets in the first time. Yeah. Not, I mean, really? Serious. Yeah, that's a shame. Right, I'm going to um, call an end to this now. So um, I'd like to thank you for joining me. We'll be watching the Olympics for the remaining kind of uh, 10 days of uh, competition. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see some British uh, success. But just in general, you know, I love watching... Yeah, people, uh, athletes who are at the uh, you know the top of their form competing, and uh, it doesn't really matter what the specific event is. There's always a narrative, and there's always a story in there that makes it really interesting. And uh, listener, you'll be able to uh, hear Emily commentating or uh, contributing to Ski Across on the Discovery Channel on Thursday of next week. Is it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's look it up. 17th and 18th. <laughs> Another on, on, on Discovery. <laughs> Graham will be continuing on, on the BBC for their Olympics coverage for the uh, remainder. So I'd like to thank you, uh, Emily and Graham, uh, for joining us. And thank you, listener, for uh, joining us. And uh, let's just enjoy the rest of the games. <laughs> <laughs>